The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to the Data Reaper podcast episode 40. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined by the new and improved Zach. Oh, Zach, how are you doing? How are those dulcet tones? How you doing, Hat? This is an upgraded Zacco. Sounds so nice. Yeah, and the reason why, if you're wondering, listeners, is because I finally got a podcast microphone. I was a boomer using headsets, and now I have discovered a new world. Uh, and uh, yeah, so you're going to enjoy my voice a lot more in the future episode, as well as this one. Yeah, and and really, we have to we have to thank all the... Patreon members and VS Gold members. We've had a ton of people sign up lately. Thank you so much for everyone that supported us and allowed us to make these investments in Zach O. Yeah. Now you can uh, listen to my strange Israeli accent. And if you're wondering why my accent is a little strange, it's got this um, New Yorker vibe a little bit. It's because as a toddler, I spent my toddler years in New York growing up. And I watched my favorite cartoon was uh, Super Mario Brothers. So I got this Italian New Yorker smidge of accent because I I guess I learned from Mario. So, yeah. Hey, Paisanos, it's time for the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. What a great show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Oh, man, um, we're outing our age way too much here in the show. We're, gonna, we're just yeah. going to power on through here. So I uh, mean, everybody you- knows I'm a boomer. I mean... They Everybody don't have to knows know that it. I'm a boomer. You're you're less a little bit less of a boomer than I am, but it's okay. In 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 uh, Hearthstone years, if you're over 21, you're old. So yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So anyway, okay. thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in as always. And again, thank you so much for the support. A bunch of people signed up because they learned they get early access to Zacco experiments. On Tuesday is Refinement Day, and Zach just goes through every single deck list and says. This card is great. This card sucks. This class sucks. I want to play this deck. Okay, I played three games for this deck and I deleted it. And and the refinement process just continues. You get to see it live. If you are a VS Gold member or a Patreon member. So, a lot of people signed up to get that Shaman list because I played one game with it. And it was like, that was pretty good. And it was against someone that was in the Discord. And they were like, wow, what Shaman deck were you playing? I was like, it's a secret. And everybody wanted to see the secret. The secret is... Play all the neutral Flex cards they play in every other deck in the format. Have a leak. Have a tier four deck. Just shove that flex tape in and leak will be done. Get your wand maker. Get your man crick. Get your venomous scorpid. Get your Alexstrasza. Fixes all your problems. Order now. Flex tape. Yeah, okay. Let's uh, let's proceed. Yeah, next report's going to be normal schedule next uh, Thursday on the 29th. Um, we are recording this podcast on Friday, the 23rd, and this will be published on the 24th, on Saturday. Yes. And thank you as well, everyone that waited last week for my computer troubles. I, I'm pretty sure I figured it out, but I don't want to say it out loud because I don't want to curse myself. All I will say is that if you want to know anything about CPU voltage, I now know way more about it than I wish I did. But I think we figured it out. Oh, man. But had... Had is really dedicated to podcasting. He stayed up at like until like six a.m. 
to fix his troubles and uh yeah he ended up uh we ended up publishing a day later but it was still fine and i want to thank uh, hat for his dedication on all the podcasts that he works on because now he's also a permanent member of the angry chicken so he's on the vs data reaper podcast on coin concede on angry chicken now i'm wondering how did you not lose your voice yet hat you're pretty much everywhere I guess you like to hear yourself talking, but uh, we all do. I certainly love hearing you talking, but you're a one busy podcaster, aren't you? Yeah, it's it's been I do a lot of stuff. I take it's I look back sometimes and I look at what I do every week and I'm like, this is a lot of stuff. But I don't know. I guess other people like hearing me talk. The the, the important thing is I had to find time to actually play some Hearthstone. Because I realized the first week the set came out, I spent more time podcasting than actually playing. It was pretty upsetting. But I found some time to play. And Zach, the thing that I've noticed when we've been playing a lot is the Paladin class is in a good spot right now. What do you think about that bold statement? Well, that's a really bold statement, Hat. I don't know. Maybe you want to retract it. But yeah, Paladin is still good. And its win rate is really high um, throughout ladder. But what we did notice which is encouraging, is that at higher levels of play, the class is trending towards being manageable. Uh, it's still good, but it's not going to be a power outlier. And people who think like we fixate on top legend meta, the reason we do that is because it's often those things, those developments start at the top and then trickle down. So if there is a new deck that counters Paladin or does well against Paladin, you would expect it to trickle down to some degree and that means that Paladin will also be more manageable at lower levels. But uh, So this is why we try to identify trends at the top. It's important. It's very informative when you do that. And it's relevant through all ladder because it's basically what happens to top legend is often just the future of like the high diamonds and then the lower diamonds and, and so on and so on. So we see that Paladin, even though it's very powerful, um, there are ways to stop it, and it's just about knowing those ways and that information trickling down. And uh, our report uh, often uh, helps accelerate uh, that flow of information uh, throughout the rest of ladder. So Paladin is strong, but I don't think that power Paladin is a huge uh, problem. It's just a powerful class, and I think that's okay. Uh, regarding the class, uh, it's it's diversified. Like we still have Secret Paladin, Sword of the Fallen is still a good card. You still see that card as well in Liberum Paladin. But uh, you also see a new archetype. And this new archetype is just aggro Paladin playing buffs. Now, initially, this deck, um, a list that was popularized, I don't remember by who, but there was a list. Jackie Chan. Yeah, I think it ran like generically good, uh, generically good cards like uh, Argent Protector, and so on, like, you you, you still Wait, played Kazakus. hold on, hold on. Did yeah. you say generically good cards like Argent Protector? Is that what you said? Yes. <laughs> Argent Protector is a generically good card. It has three attack now, Hat. It's actually a good card now. But, um... It's like a Zephyrus that's always active. Yeah, it's good. It gives Divine Shield. It, it pressures the opponent. It helps you force trades. It's, it's very good. Um, but anyway... You had a build that centered around Blessing of Authority and Crab Rider and Argent Braggart. So you could, like, a turn seven swing with a Crab Rider and a Blessing of Authority is obviously very, very powerful. 
like you kill two things and still have a threatening car that can just kill you the next turn if you don't remove it. Um, so that started out, things started out that way, and that list really got very popular. But then people started running, dropping the Kazakas and running Karyol, Samuro, and Blessing of Kings. And this direction looks even better for this archetype. And the reason is, is that you make Crab Rider even more consistent. Braggart is not super consistent with Blessing Authority, but we have reasons to believe that if you add Blessing of Kings to it, especially with the potential discounts of Karyol, making it easier to combo a buff alongside Braggart on the same turn, that makes the card more threatening. So the list we have in the report is a little bit novel, but it's also constructed through data where we're running Crab Rider, Braggart, and Kings in Authority. And this deck looks very, very good. One thing we're not super impressed with, it might change if the meta slows down or things like that, is running, uh, we've seen people run like Moonfang and Cairn and Eggs. The problem with eggs is that they're reliant on you having buffs. And even though you have a bunch of buffs, uh, the card is is actually quite slow for this meta because you really want to front load your, your threats. If you're just playing an egg and it sits for a few turns, you give your opponent time to um, prepare for it. Then the impact of the second body that pops, it, it takes a lot of time for it to actually um, make an impact on the board. It's not like Zoo back when we had Nexramas, they would immediately like abusive sergeant, pop it, power overwhelming, void terror, or play a defender of Argus. You really had an immediate impact on the second body, and it would be popped very easily, or you would force your opponent to pop it. Here it's not really the case, it's less of a case. Um and you know, Cairn and Moonfang, they're cool ideas like big stat bodies that also like Moonfang scales with buffs, but it's a little bit too slow. You want the deck to still be lean. Now, one thing you do do um, Did you with say this do list. Do? <laughs> one <laughs> thing that you do. I, I, I allow you, Pat, to not edit that out. That's actually really funny. But one thing you do. <laughs> I wasn't going to. Don't worry. <laughs> um, is. Yeah, my brain uh, hit in uh, 404 yeah, for a second Yeah, your brain just went straight doo-doo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, no Moonfang, no Cairn. We do Blessing yeah, yeah. of Authority. Um, we do Hammer the Naru, and we do run an Alex in the top end because Pyroblast is good. Yeah, Alex is is okay here. Not so much in the secret build, but in this build, um, she's better because it, it makes less sense to run the Talon Murger package because Talon has a dual role in Secret Paladin where it can pull either Kazakus or Murger Prime. Here, you're not really looking to tutor your carryall or some more it's not like there's not as big of an impact here and if you run uh tail in just to uh, fish for your alexstrasza it's not really worth it because it takes like if you play it on five the alexstrasza is only relevant like a four turns later so tail in alexstrasza is not that powerful of a combo in this deck because you have a low curve uh and you're looking to play uh more threats and you're looking to play, uh, you're mostly focused on Crab Rider combos or Braggart combos uh, in the mid to late game. So this list is a little bit novel, but it's based on a list that's performing very well on ladder right now. Mancrick is good. We'll talk about Mancrick uh, throughout this report. 
the more we looked into Mankirk, the more we realized that the card is just good. Um, like no matter what deck you're playing, right? There was a consen- uh, like a consensus in the beginning. Like, okay, we play this card when we have a lot of draw or we have a way to specifically pull it from our deck, such in the case of uh, Barack Obama Cotabane or a priest thrive in the shadows or rogue with a, has a lot of draw. But when we looked at this card start popping up in Paladin and decks that didn't necessarily have the card draw the specific way to pull it, it still performs well because it's just four health, three drop, lots of things right now, lots of removal. You think about brain freeze, uh, you think about the warlock removal with soul shear and uh, drain soul, lots of three health, uh, uh, three damage removals. And Mancrick dodges that. So that makes it better than Gossiper. Gossiper is a card that really benefited, like in Secret Paladin, really benefited from um, having Noble Sacrifice. But now you're not incentivized to run Noble Sacrifice and the card is can just get uh, traded e- even with a tempo loss uh, in the early game. So it's not really worth it in Secret Paladin anymore. Uh, but yeah, Mancrick is a, just a good, generically good 3-drop. And... Agro Paladin right now looks even better than Secret Paladin. Though we will wait to figure things out. Their their matchup spreads are not too different. But as I said, this build with the buffs is new and not really reflected in the data. We have to see it seems to be the superior build for Agro Paladin. We'll have to see how things uh how the meta continues to develop, whether there are nuances between Secret and Agro that uh, will determine what's better and where. And it's looking at the at the stats in the report, the secret deck and the aggro deck are like, they're neck and neck in performance. They both seem pretty strong. Do you think there's going to be a trend as to which way either one is going, or do you think it's just going to be up to how the meta shifts? Uh, as I said, it, it depends on meta developments, and there might be some nuances. Also, both of these archetypes are not fully refined, uh, even more so aggro paladin. I suspect that Agro Paladin is just the better deck, but the thing is, is that Agro Paladin is more susceptible to removal than Secret Paladin because if you if you develop like a Blasting Authority and it's quite weak to Shadow or Death, right? You're you're yeah. quite weak to like Blackjack Stunners, things that target one specific big thing. You're more vulnerable to to just getting blown out of the game. So even though Agro Paladin seems like it's better now. And also has the refinement potential, which makes it like potentially it's a no-brainer. Yeah, aggro is better, but no, the meta can respond to these uh, to this kind of strategy where you just buff big things, because there are plenty of classes that have the ability to answer those things. So if those things become more popular, like secret row becomes more popular with blackjack stunners, maybe you're better off just running secret paladin rather than an aggro. So we'll see what ends up happening in the future, but it, it seems to be like an interesting. Um, development where you have two aggressive paladin archetypes they're both good but they have some differences between them that could like make them carve out their own niches in the meta yeah like they could they could both be relevant for different reasons um also ixar has noted that if paladin is the best deck that's fine but if it remains at a 54 54% win rate at all levels of play that it's probably going to see another nudge um and that they haven't figured it out yet and they would look to implement after the master store, I mean it's more than fifty four right now. There are levels of play when you look at um, like lower ranks right now. It's it's more than fifty four, I would say. 
But at top legend, it's it's less. And it's actually like I think that in next week's report, Paladin's gonna be kicked off of top legend. There's a strong possibility off of tier one. Like it will not be tier one at top legend. Like to me, it's shaping out to be a very balanced meta at higher levels of play. And I don't know how much of that will trickle down, but at least it seems like pros and, and strong players are able to answer uh, how powerful Paladin is. So I'm not sure if Paladin requires, like it definitely doesn't need like an emergency nerf or anything like that, yeah. but they might consider that maybe Paladin is still too good uh, and uh, like at most rank brackets, right? It's still going to be very good. Maybe you want to nudge that down. I don't know, but I am kind of concerned. I don't want to nerf Paladin too much because I feel like there are answers that are developing. Like this is a this is an early meta. There's a lot of jank. A lot of people are playing bad decks. Like Inquisitor, Demon Hunter just rolls over to Paladin. A lot of bad decks right now that just roll over to Paladin. So it benefits from these from punishing these decks and the, just the early meta jank. But it's an aggressive deck, and like as the meta develops, like you see those decks drop a bit because it takes more time for slower decks to optimize themselves than the aggressive decks. Yeah, and it takes more time for people to stop playing Control Warlock, so. That is true as well. Yes. We'll talk about... And also, like, if they nerf, if they nudge, like, the size of Angry Mancrick and they put Crab Rider to a 1-3, that's not a Paladin nerf, but it nerfs Paladin. So they could easily nudge some neutrals that are in, like, every deck, and that redefines the format as well. I don't know if I want to nerf Crab Rider. I recognize that it's a strong card hat, but the thing is, Crab Rider right now is promoting decks that we haven't seen in a very long time suddenly you have buff decks seeing play in the meta and that's kind of refreshing i do like that but it feels a little edwin-y sometimes when it doesn't die on turn two and then runs away with the game i i agree that i don't want that to go away entirely but i also don't want it to be a thing where if you don't have an answer for grab rider on two you kind of lose uh it's fair it's a fair comment like grab rider is definitely a, a very good card I don't think it's necessarily a power outlier, but you're gonna you see a lot of it. You're also gonna see a lot of Mancrick. Mancrick is a card that I consider to be more toxic because it's a high variance card where, like, when the wife gets pulled, it's like sometimes Ten it gets pulled on so turn. Much. Like Ten it gets pulled on turn lot. four, it just wins the game by itself. It's just so ridiculous, and there's nothing like you can't really play around it, right? It can happen at any moment, so you can't really prepare for it. And it deals three immediate damage. It has 10 health. It's like nearly unkillable. Like, I feel like the card would still be good if the angered Mancrick had like six health. Like, the card would still be good. Have you ever thought about if on turn nine, if you draw Alex draws the life binder, you cannot kill an angry Mancrick with it? The queen of dragons has no power against one orc dude. Yeah, it's just one angry orc dude. Lost his wife. Oh, yeah, the I mad mean, one. Fair enough. That's, I mean, I'm Alex not going to say that he shouldn't be mad. I'm, I'm, I'm justifying his anger. I'm saying though that like, ten health it's, is a it's lot way of too health. much. It's too much. It feels like it's like a, it's almost like a Faldari Strider, but the variance is even higher because it shovels one card rather than three with like on a lower power level. You have this one big spike that you can't really prepare for. And if the wife, if you play Mancrick on curve and the wife is pulled like turn four, five, six. It's just such a hard snowball on the game. And yeah, it's just, it's, it kind of feels bad to play. 
Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's, it feels pretty bad to play. Yeah. They could shave some health off of the off of Angry Man Crick, and it would not hurt the card's playability at all. Yeah, it wouldn't. And uh, yeah, we do recognize that this card might be a four-set meta card where the card pool is sl- smaller, so there are... Uh, there's more chances of like Dex just needing a three drop and Mancrick being good, but I think that the card is too good. Like it, and also like the gameplay pattern of Mancrick is pretty toxic as well. Let's be real. Yeah, I I just don't think that this is the kind of thing you want to promote. Um, moving draw variants from Discover to Did you hit the wife? Is really where you want to be. And we're going to yeah. see a lot of it uh, at the Masters Tour, and then uh, maybe maybe after the Masters Tour, Mancrick can grieve appropriately and find some closure, and and maybe be a little bit less angry, just a little bit less. Yeah, I would I would nudge it at like six health. It would still be good. Like that's how absurd ten health is. It's just it's unkillable. I have like there's so many classes. It's just once this happens, it's gonna deal to them like fifteen damage. I've had many of game many games where I'm just like like the Mancrick that I summon off of the wife is like deals fifteen damage to my opponent. It's just yeah. it's way too much. Like the impact. Or you're putting apotheosis too- on it or whatever, and then it just never yeah. dies and it, it gains you life for the rest of the game. Yeah, it's just um, yeah. And priest is yeah. crazy good because of that. Yeah. Raise dead or and maybe you uh you don't deal fifteen damage with it because the game is over two turns later because your Barack Koto Bane drew the wife. And Hunter, Zach, we didn't change a card in the list. Not one card in Hunter. No, why would you? Because the list works so well, so why would you? Um, Yeah, Hunter has started strong. Uh, that's what I can say about it. It started strong, but it, se- it seems like it's getting countered right now. Hunter, you know, traditionally does that. You have a new meta, you have a deck like Control Warlock. That can get ver- burnt out very easily. And the Hunter abuses that matchup very well. Uh, it abuses uh, decks that are not refined. Like, it even managed to punish Rogue because Rogue has been unrefined uh, over the first few days of the patch. So, you have this situation where the Hunter is looking strong. It's got a, a, a clean deck that was basically perfectly refined on day one of the patch. Nobody needed to change a single card. So, everything clicks. But now other decks are catching up, right? Other decks are figuring out how to build uh, themselves in the most efficient manner possible. And that's starting to hurt Hunter. You look at the its matchup spread at Legend, at higher levels of play, and you start seeing more and more red. You start seeing more and more red. You see the top Legend, it's already not a t- like it's already dropped to Tier 2. It was Tier 1, like, first two days. Then drops to tier two. Now I'm not even gonna. Sh- I'm not even sure it's gonna have a positive win rate at top legend next week. It may fall all the way to tier three, and it's gonna fall as well uh, because of the pal. The matchup is gonna fall to at least tier two at some rank brackets outside of legend uh, over the next week. So hunter is okay. It's decent, but it's not particularly strong in a future meta that I envision. And uh, yeah, and it's not really got much many other options. I've seen some experimentation. Um, one of the most popular questions that we get is, what about the uh, Leorox OTK with King Crush and such? You can even shove that into a Face Hunter deck. Yeah, Rami did that for Grandmasters this week. Yeah, 
So you, so we, we get a lot of questions about that. I think that content creators are a bit a little bit skewed into thinking this thing is popular. It's not popular. Like this archetype of the Leorex OTK thing is less than 1% of the meta. Like there's a low sample size for it. And we usually avoid um, discussing about, talking about deck performance when we have something like half a percent of the meta. Even when we do have the sample size backing it, it can still be like the win rate can still be pulled and pushed and skewed uh, because of where the population of players that runs the card, runs the deck, uh, especially a, a, um, a deck like this one where it's much more likely that you play it if you follow popular content creators like Tice. So you have some room for adjustments in Hunter, and I think there is a future for like maybe Beast builds, maybe Dire Frenzy, I don't know, probably not. But, you know, like Hunter has options to go for more value, less burn in the late game. We'll see if the classes uh, manages to adjust here. But I think that Hunter overall has been a success uh, in Barons. Like uh, Team 5 had this situation where Hunter really needed a lot of help because it's uh, its Phoenix sets were really, really bad. So it needed a big push early on in the first set just to get give it some way to establish itself. And I think they did that perfectly. Uh, and the class has a much better chance of being competitive um, in the future with future card sets. Like It has a much better starting point now. I think Hunter's okay. Don't expect to see it dominate for long. And it's just a f like a fairly decent class. That's pretty much it. I, I mean, I enjoy Lee Roxing people, but I'm not under any impression that it's a major part of the meta. Yeah, and people... Uh, by the way, people that think that it counters Priest. No, it does not. <laughs> I, have, I have ran into that, and you do not counter Priest. You cannot play Lee Rox when there's a P elemental in the way. It, ooh, it's all, it's all, it's all coming together, Hat. Yeah, can't beat the P. I'm just, I'm yep. sad that that the curve of augmented porcupine into Machnathal line is probably never going to be good. I mean, <laughs> yeah, lots of people saw Lion and thought that this card would be insane, but uh, didn't turn out to be the case. And porcupine, like the the impact is, it's like a worse knife juggler, right? When you think about it. It's it requires you. The problem is that ingenuity, right? You need to build a deck in a very specific way for that curve to work. You need to specifically find porcupine. And if you run more beasts, then your ingenuity is worse. Ingenuity is a card that initially people looked at and said, "Oh, this is good in a beast hunter." No, ingenuity is good in a deck that runs very few beasts where you always have a good outcome. Like Wolpatinger and Trampling Rhyme. But even in this deck, Ingenuity is not good enough because Wrangler is still better. Because you control the outcome. So it's very important to be, a, uh, to be able to control the outcome. Um, and yeah, the fact that the Codobane can draw you a quick shot instead of Ingenuity makes it far better. Like just quick shot pushed out the card as well. Yeah. And also, Ingenuity has never been good without using Face Stalker. Um, fair as well. That's also fair. Yeah, that Face Stalker card was pretty good. Um, yeah. So Face Stalker was pretty good. You know what's not pretty good, Zach? This segue and also Control Warlock. Both are bad. 
yeah. So here's the thing about Warlock. You know, we've extensively talked about this deck sucking. And this deck continues to suck. And pretty much the only reason why it sees any competitive play is because it has this 85-15 matchup with Priest. And it pretty much loses or goes even against everything else. Except for Lib and Paladin. That matchup is now favored with the Penflinger damage going away. Uh, it, like, the deck is bad. And, you know, this report is going to propagate the fact that the deck is bad. The question is whether Warlock will decline in significant enough numbers as a result. Last week, I had the impression of like, okay, this deck is bad. It's bait. It's going to decline, right? It's going to fall off. Just like many other decks, like Inquisitor, Demon Hunter is also a deck that I expect to see fall off because it's not very good. But here we have a situation where... There, there, there are two factors. One is this deck is very fun to play for a lot of people, where it's so fun for them that they're willing to sacrifice their performance on ladder to play it, which is natural, right? There will, there will be players who are not interested in winning as much as playing their favorite decks. Um, not everyone is just trying to maximize its win rate on ladder. A lot of people play fun things, and they consider Ticketus to be fun. Uh, many of them consider it to be fun. Like people can criticize the, the like Ticketus all they want, but they still need to recognize that there are people who will have fun with this deck. And when Team 5 sees a low win rate, high play rate deck, for them it's an indication that they actually did a good job because they managed to promote a strategy that people find to be so fun that they're willing to sacrifice win rate for it. And there's a natural reaction on their part that they're not as willing to nerf the card. Or nerf the deck because why would you take this fun tool away from players if it's not oppressing everything, anything, right? It's not, it's not uh, like war, like, it's not causing issues and uh, like it's not a power outlier where you have to nerf it for balance reasons. The problem is that there's also a perception problem with Ticketus, where even high level players, some of them, not all of them, but there is quite a bit of them in content creators that play this deck and think it's actually genuinely good. And that is an issue where Ticketus has an effect that is so dramatic, right? It feels so powerful when you play it that the deck is still considered to be strong by some players, even at higher levels. And at top legend, you're beginning to have the situation where Priest is very good, and then people say, oh, I'm going to queue Control Warlock and get those turn one concedes. Now, let me tell you something. You really don't want a meta, like a quest rogue odd warrior meta, where you have people conceding on turn one. We talked about the reason why. Priest does have an issue where he doesn't have proactive win condition. But the result remains that we're seeing a significant number of turn one concedes. And all of them, whether it's Warlock versus Priest or Warlock versus Lifesteal Demon Hunter, they're just games that are non-games. The person concedes on one, even if like there's a even if it's an 80-20 matchup, right? The fact that the player doesn't even bother to play out the game and would rather just move on to the next queue rather than play out the game is, I see, as as a problem. So from last week where I said, "Oh, this deck is not a problem because it's going to decline," I'm now seeing that it's not declining quickly enough, and it's not. It's still going to be 
quite prevalent, especially at lower ranks. And we remember Ix's words when he said that if this deck remains prevalent, 10%, 15%, where it is right now, they're probably going to have to nerf it. So now I've kind of changed my stance after seeing the play patterns and the reaction to people recognizing that the deck is bad and seeing that the stats suggest it's bad. It's still, the needle is not moving enough and the deck is still played far too much. Now, it's not a power level outlier. It's not a power level issue, but it's disruptive to gameplay experience. Because as I said, you don't want to turn one concede meta. So here's my suggestion. You're probably going to have to nerf Ticketus if it remains this popular. Especially at Top Legend, if it stays around 10%, you have to nerf it just so that we don't keep having this turn one concede situations. If you do that, you probably want to just take away all of the rock, paper, scissors situation. And when I say rock, paper, scissors, I talk about Elusia as well. Elusia is another card that we don't even recommend you to run it in your priest deck on ladder throughout most levels of play. Large majority, and even a top legend, I would say that Lucia is still bad because the number of lifesteal demon hunters and rogues does not justify it. But Lucia is this really polarizing card, just like Ticketus, where the perception of its power is far greater than its actual power, and it leads to non-games, leads to a toxic experience. And if you nerf Lucia, let's say you nerf Lucia, you also have to nerf Ilganoth which is another cause of this uh, rock, paper, scissors situation. The, this is not as relevant. This sounds weird to you guys, maybe because not all of you like play at top legend, but the situation amongst pro play is that this trio is a problem where you have an 80-20 matchup between Warlock and Priest, an 80-20 matchup between Lifesteal, Demon Hunter, and Warlock, and then Elusia is a coin flip turns the Lifesteal Demon Hunter Priest into a coin flip matchup. None of these promote skill and none of these promote healthy gameplay. And whenever Priest is good, then you're going to see Warlocks. It's just a natural reaction, even though it's irrational. Even though you can see that the overall win rate is not good, just the fact that the Warlock queues into ladder and gets a free turn one conceded by the Priest psychologically makes him keep playing it. Why wouldn't I stop playing it when I get these turn one concedes? And then maybe I can outplay my opponent in my unfavored matchup against pretty much everything else. So Ticketus, Elusia, and Ilganoth. You have to nerf Ilganoth if you nerf Elusia. Because then Lifesteal Demon Hunter is out of control at high levels of play. Because there's just no other ability other than Priest being able to yoink the, the combo pieces to actually respond to it other than just racing to kill it. So it's going to be a, a warp, a very warping Wait a deck. Wait a minute. Hold on. Zach, what? What? You want to nerf Ticketus. You want to nerf Lucia. You want to nerf Ilganoth. You want to bring down the skill cap of this format that much? <laughs> the irony is that I'm actually upping the skill cap of this format by nerfing these cards. Because, as I said, Lucia creates non-games. It's not actually as skill-intensive when everybody has already done their homework and knows when the card is supposed to be played. It's also not very skill-intensive when Lifesteal Demon Hunter has one coin flip matchup and another 80-20 matchup. What's the skill here? Everybody's playing out the matchup like they're doing homework. It's like Odd Warrior versus Quest Rogue. It's not actually a game of Hearthstone. So 
I think that if you want to improve gameplay experience, you need to nerf the rock, paper, scissory uh, factors that are currently in the meta, even though they're not felt as much as I said. To most players on ladder, this is an issue at uh, pro play. So I think that overall, if you nerf these cards, you're going to create a better gameplay experience uh, for everyone. And Elusia is not really needed, like, for Rogue. Like, for the Rogue matchup, like, Alex Tanu, that's the reason why Elusia is good against Rogue. It's not actually that necessary. Like, the matchup is not going to turn into, like, a hard counter. It's not like the Rogue is going to hard counter the Priest just because the Priest doesn't have Elusia. I've not, it's just Ilganoth. It's yeah. just the Yogi. It's Ilganoth. The problem is Ilganoth creates this huge burst of damage that you just cannot outlast. And even though the deck, again, as I said... It's not like it's performing well, but if I want to nerf Lucia, I have I probably have to nerf Ilganoth. Because for me, like if you look at the meta, the reason why Ilganoth is is not out of control is very much a lot of it has to do with Lucian, uh keeping it in check. Uh and the question is do we want this? Do we want to have this infinite damage combo in the game and it's balanced out by the fact that we have this highly highly disliked card? that turns a matchup into a coin flip, that's how it keeps it in check, by turning a matchup into a coin flip. I'm not sure that's good. So for me, uh, if Control Warlock population is not going to drop, you probably have to uh, nerf Ticketus. And then if you nerf Ticketus, you probably have to take something away from Priest because if you don't nerf Warlock, Priest is going to be out of control uh because that's pretty much the only thing holding it back is the fact that some people are willing to sacrifice the winner in order to bring priest down uh and and then if you do that you take away a lucia you need to take away the combo that's just not possible you, you just can't disrupt it other than a lucia so i think uh those are the changes i would make and all these changes uh, let me make that clear are not power level changes they are feels changes gameplay experience changes and polarity changes, polarity-driven changes. And they've done polarity-driven changes before. Just ask Quest Rogue players, right? I just hope that these changes wouldn't result in the counter to Priest being a Swine Tusk Shank Weapon Rogue because that deck does not feel like Hearthstone. That deck feels like something else. Yeah, but the good news, uh, Hat, is that that deck is answered by an ooze. So if that deck goes out of <laughs> that control... That deck is also answered by two minions at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much... At, like, so uh, we actually make, made a little comment about Poison Rogue, um, where, like, for me, if that deck gets any sort of survivability, like real survivability tools, then it, it has the potential to be completely broken because if it's aggressive matchups were, like, 40-60 instead of 20-80, it would be insanely good. That deck is a little bit spooky, Poison Rogue. And also, it's a deck that personally, like weapon decks like that, are very one dimensional and not, it's not the most interesting thing to play against. Uh, But yeah, I played with it after our deck list came through. It is one of the most boring one dimensional decks I have ever played, and I could not stand playing more than a few games of it. You hard mulligan for a weapon, you go face over and over again if you get one, and you cloak of shadows when you're about to die, and then otherwise you lose. It's one of the least interactive decks I've ever seen. Like yeah. it's like literally what your opponent is doing does not matter at all. All you're trying to focus on is trying to race and kill him before before they kill you. It's just so 
yeah it's uh, luckily the deck is not good right now right but in the future yeah just keep that in mind you know i've warned people before about deck of lunacy and look how that turned out there will be a time where we might you know find poison rogue being too good and that will probably be very very toxic so we probably don't want to give it like something like a leeching poison <laughs> uh, that would be pretty problematic but yeah I don't think they would do that considering they didn't even unnerf the card for the Wilder version, so they're pretty aware of the issue. Yeah. Anyways, to bring it back to Warlock, because we had a little bit of a tangent that I agree with 100%, um, Control Warlock is a deck that people play because they want to play it, not because they're winning with it, because uh, on average they are winning less than half of the games they play with it. Yeah. And there is no Zoo. Zoo does not exist. And there is no Mill Warlock. People try and make it work. It was in one qualifier winning lineup. Do not try and replicate that on ladder. It won't go well for you. Yeah. So the point is, Warlock is not good. It's not a good deck. However, its polarity issues causes it to still be played, even at higher levels. And that is an issue when it comes to the continuing development of the meta. And what I suggest is maybe we need to um, eliminate the polarity uh, causes uh, of the meta that we're seeing right now. And overall, the meta, uh, from a power level perspective... I think things are fine. Aggressive decks seem a little bit too strong right now, but they're going to relax over time. So I'm not as concerned with that. I am a little bit uh, um, concerned with the polarity of these three cards. It remains to be seen, but I think those are reasonable suggestions. And uh, if they nerf Ticketus, Elucian, Ilganoth, in line with your comments in this podcast, I think you will suddenly be the darling of pro players everywhere because they all hate these cards. Yeah, I, and I, I and I know that because I know how they prep for tournaments, and I know how they prep for lineups, and there is a huge, understandable fixation on the interaction between these three decks because it just feels like, like it's just yeah, it's just the gameplay is not interesting, and building lineups becomes less interesting, and it starts yeah. You like, have to play matchup darts. It just yeah, it just quest rogue odd warrior, and that's a problem. So, um, yeah, I hope that they eventually address it. If warlock again, if war if if control warlock wasn't this super fun deck, maybe it would have been as big of a problem. But it also carries a perception issue, and this perception issue is not easily swayed by just a data report telling you that this deck sucks, because the temptation is too great. There is the dopamine. The dopamine, when they concede on one, is too great. And I think that's a problem. Whenever people just concede on one and don't want to see a game play out, that's a, that's a, that should sound the alarm uh, in Team 5's office. I, I have faith in their ability to recognize and adjust this. And uh, I, they've said in the past, and Dina said during his AMAs, you don't really want the same hot-button issues over and over again bring brought up expansion after expansion yeah I, i'm convinced that they will nerf ticketus now last week i i, I still thought that they would not nerf you. it i thought they would not nerf it but after seeing how the information trickles and people realizing that warlock has a low win rate but it still sees this much play at top legend uh yeah and it's still being brought to tournaments and people still put it in lineup consideration just because of priest that's a problem but let's move on. It's not uh, what I they think, want. It's yeah. not what they want. I don't think they'll keep it that way. And also, uh, what they do want is for Refreshing Springwater to be a card that you just play in Mage, sometimes in decks with minions. 
And I think Mage is an interesting spot right now because there is the No Minion Mage. There is also Kazakus Mage. And there are very recent developments that we probably don't have data on yet because they happen like today-ish. Um, but I, I am curious about where Mage is going. Yeah, so here's the thing about Spell Mage. I think the nerf... I, I have to... Like, all the nerfs did a very good job overall. I think all the nerfs have proven to be correct when you look at this report. Decalunacy is no longer a good card. We expected it because we look at data, but the fact is the card's not good anymore. You can occasionally lose to it on turn four. That can happen. But the card is such a liability later in the game, and it's not even a safe mulligan keep in, in a lot of matchups. Um, and even in the slower matchups, you'd rather have your burn plan against Priest and Warlock. Uh, you'd rather just burn them out than risk um, low rolling on the... Generated cards not having enough threats and having everything that you play get get removed. That is a danger in these matchups. So Decalunacy, not worthwhile anymore. We suggest replacing it with the second Flame Strike. Reason is it just makes your Mask of Cthulhu better. Uh, ironically, that is the best moment to run two Flame Strikes. Helps you stabilize against Paladins uh, and makes Mask of Cthulhu better because the way to play around Mask of Cthulhu as an opponent is to put stats on the board. Then you play the Flame Strike, punishes that help set up your Mask of Cthulhu to go face. So that as a suggestion. There are other people playing like Netherwind Portal. A little iffy on that, but it's not a bad card. You can play Ice Baron, but it's a little bit too uh, fixated on trying to beat aggressive decks. And it's not Ice Baron is not even that good of a card against Paladin because if you don't take care of their stats on the board, you're still going to die. Like 8 armor is not going to help you with that. And that's not anywhere near enough to mitigate the Hunter matchup, which is atrocious. You're still going to lose. But luckily for Spell Mage, Hunter is declining. So even though right now, like on Diamond uh, 4-1, to one, like Spell Mage was unplayable over the last week because Hunter was so popular. But now that Hunter is declining, you're starting to see Spell Mage coming back to a performance more uh, similar to what we're seeing at Top Legend right now with Spell Mage. Spell Mage is one of the better decks in the format right now. And its win rate keeps climbing. It's actually recovering very well. People are also cutting Lunacy. That improves the deck as well. They're playing newer lists. Those newer lists outperform the Lunacy list. And the archetype is coming back. I'm personally kind of happy with the fact that it didn't, that like the nerf did not kill the deck. Obviously, Flow is a very powerful card. And Springwater is also a very powerful card. And the deck is, uh, is obviously still good with a game plan that I think is. I think it's less toxic than Lunacy, that's for sure. Though Flow is a little bit of a, it's a, it's a little bit of a scrap amp in that deck, that's for sure. A little bit. A little. bit. I looked at the Mulligan win rate, and it was uh, about ten percent higher than the second <laughs> card. Yeah, Flow is very good. It's basically Wild Growth, but it, it's kind of even better than Wild Growth. So, yeah. I I think you had it right when you said scrap amp. It's it's a it it is a ten percent jump to the dex win rate in the mulligan. Like that's enormous. Yeah, it is enormous. And sometimes you get double flow or even triple flow, and the game is just becomes uh, very ridiculous. But you posted a replay in the Vicious Syndicate Discord <laughs> today that was nauseating. Uh, nauseating depends on your perspective. For me, it was it was amazing. It was incredible, disgustingly beautiful. But the point is, deck is still fine. Uh. And a lot of people like playing the deck, so I'm happy for them at least. I personally am not a huge fan of the deck. Like I play it, but I play it. I don't know. I'm trying to play every deck uh, 
that's relevant to Mina just to gather a perspective on how it feels to play and what's it like because I need that for my content creation but um yeah it's good I think it's good that the deck is still viable and mage is still viable because viability in mage we're not seeing it yet from other archetypes there's the Kasakis spell damage mage we talked about it last week not looking very good we wondered about fireballs what if we just play fireballs and Casey um who is a very good deck builder um posted a list just today with uh of a spell damage mage with fireballs and spring water the deck looks really really good yeah the deck looks great looks great i'm gonna try it out later as well um like refreshing spring water like you don't need to play that card and just spell mage like if you're playing like 10 minions you're still gonna have i don't know draw two cards for two mana it's still good and sometimes it's gonna be for free so that's still very powerful. We don't need to just play it in Spell Mage. I think the card will prove to be good even in those kind of mage decks with uh, minions. So, yeah, I I played a couple games this deck. There were a bunch of games where like I flowed early and then I cast Refreshing Spring Water and I only gained two mana crystals back. It was a one mana cutting class. Fine, that is acceptable. Yeah, we take those. So we'll see what happens. So Spell Mage is still good. Going to go grow stronger over time, I think, over the next week. And we'll see what happens when Spell Damage Mage actually plays Fireballs in Springwater over Kazakus. I think there's too much of a fixation on Kazakus. Uh, it's understandable because Kazakus is a really powerful card. But sometimes you can play other very powerful cards. And we've seen that with Agro Paladin. Now playing Karyol, Samuro, Blessing Kings. It works really well. We don't have to play Kazakus. But I do like the fact... That Kazakus is forcing us to make difficult choices uh, in deck building. And I think that's an interesting point of tension that the card creates where you're like, okay, what do you want to do? Do you want to do this Kazakus thing? Or is there a better thing that we can do in this mana slot? It kind of causes uh, these kind of deck building decisions. And I personally really like that when we're trying to evaluate archetypes and refine them, you have this conundrum. So I think that that's kind of interesting. Certainly more interesting than the older Kazakus where you just play a Highlander deck. I do like these uh, deck building restrictions that restrict you to a mana slot and force you to choose between certain cards. I think that's really cool. When it's when it's not Kalisa more. When it's not Kalisa. When it, yeah, two drops. Let's not do that again. Four drops. You have my attention. Yeah, I could see this as well for like I think for five drops there would probably be something pretty interesting. Above five, then it starts to become way less of a restriction because you probably weren't going to run those anyways. Um, but five in particular is an interesting inflection point as well. But yeah, I agree. And they print a lot of really cool four mana legendaries as well. And you have to make a real choice as to what you're doing. And uh, I I like that as well. I've I've enjoyed seeing the direction Mage has gone. Uh, now Demon Hunter, I have enjoyed a little bit less. I do like the developments that are built around uh, Illidari Inquisitor, which is every deck in the class right now because that card is bananas. But also Demon Hunter seems to be kind of a strange place right now. I mean, it's a strange place because Paladin is still very successful. And again, as I talked about uh, polarity issues, Paladin just destroys uh, pretty much every Demon Hunter deck. And that's an issue for it on ladder. It gets a little bit better at top legend when it comes to Lifesteal Demon Hunter, high scale cap, but also lower number of Paladins uh, helps it find more viability. Uh, but uh, Inquisitor Demon Hunter is not a deck that I expect to see stick around. I've seen your list that run Fell Screamer and cut the Kazakus. Maybe that's better. 
it's probably the issue is that the Zac just has no defensive tools. Like, you play three minions, kind of like Poison Rogue, where if you play a bunch of minions and you pressure it, it doesn't really have a way to respond and it gets outraced. Um, Lifesteal Demon Hunter had a new development where we were seeing this hybrid build. Initially, I was skeptical of this build. I said, why would we not just go full combo? Then I see the performance and it speaks for itself. This deck just... Like the hybrid build vastly outperforms the combo build uh, by a significant margin. And it could be a huge development for the archetype where you're, you still have the OTK, but you don't have the full package of like everything. You don't run like every single card that can work in redundancy with Morg Artificers. You're not running Philosophy because they can be awkward with Inquisitor, but you have a two prong attack where you have the late game OTK potential, but you can also just smack them in the head with Inquisitors. So the hybrid build is, looks very interesting. Actually kind of nice, interesting to see how Wandmaker and Scorpid are making their way to this deck. And they're actually performing quite well. Turns out that when Demon Hunter contests the board, um, its survivability goes up. So that's a thing. Uh, it's an interesting deck. You can try it. It's a very, uh, it's obviously- they put gold and venomous scorpion on the rewards track. Do you think Blizzard knew we'd be playing it in everything? Uh, perhaps. Like it's just it's Volpera Scoundrel, but way better, right? Because it stalls the game. Uh, it always trades one for one on the board and gives you value. So it's after a two for one. Uh, just a very very good card. And since you know generation dropped, right? A lot of it rotated, and some decks still don't have as much card draw as they want. To have, you know, you remember we talked about in the podcast with Alec that it's going to be a gradual thing where decks get more, classes get more card draw. It's not going to instantly happen on the first set. And that's where Scorpid comes in, kind of fills the slot of like, okay, you're lacking a bit of draw. Uh, let me help you. So I think the card is fine. And it's really cool that, like, I think it's okay to have this kind of neutral that kind of fills the gap. I think it's a well-designed card and I personally like it a lot. So... But I expect to see less of it as, you know, people actually get, like, classes actually get card drum. Thrall is hopeful that you are right. Shaman needs a little love, a little card draw. Yeah. Like, that's the reason why Wanamaker and Scorpion are so popular, because it's just, like, just flex tapes away the lack of card draw. So, it's, yeah. It fixed a lot of problems. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I was hopeful for Demon Hunter to have a little bit more to do. But it seems like it's really just the lifesteal aspect, and every other Demon Hunter deck seems kind of bad. We can't really play aggro right now. Soul doesn't really have a reason to exist, and mid range is not a good deck. Yeah, uh, so like people may be wondering, hey, Zacho, you want to nerf Il uh, Ilganoth? That's pretty much the only way that Demon Hunter is remotely viable. Uh, but yeah, but if you nerf Paladin as well in that same patch, you probably maybe nerf a card from Paladin and reduce the power level of that, then Demon Hunter has a much better chance. Because Demon Hunter's issue right now is that Paladin is, too, is really, really strong. But if Paladin, whether it's uh, natural meta developments or balance changes, if it gets, like, its power level gets reduced, then Demon Hunter is going to have a better chance. Yeah, though those Paladin matchups on the match table, that's a deep red. That's not, that's not good times. That's also very yeah, polarizing. It's very, very dramatic, yeah. Yeah. Well... We've gotten through the first five classes. Maybe it's time to talk about the savior of the format and the newest uh, tier one deck in the block, 
Let's talk about Rush Warrior, the biggest beneficiary of the 20.0.2 nerf patch. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it in previous podcasts and in the previous report. Why is Warrior struggling so hard? It's because nobody's playing minions. There's nothing to rush into. There's nothing to remove. So we're just playing undersized minions on the board and doing like pretty much getting no value off of them. Uh, and now Rush, uh, Rush Warrior actually has things to rush into and has ways to knock off the opponent's initiative, gain its own initiative. And uh, it's a very powerful thing in this current meta where we have Paladin and Hunter and a lot of tempo-focused classes. So Warrior is doing really well. And Rush Warrior is our weak meta breaker. The deck looks bonkers matchup-wise. Though I think that uh, people will eventually um, adjust to it. A good example is like running Blessing Authority in Secret Paladin really helps that matchup. It's an adjustment to Warrior that's going to be very effective. So there will be, I expect to see other classes manage to get some edges against Rush Warrior, even though it looks really powerful right now. And even though it's not really truly refined. So refinement of Rush Warrior was really complicated this week. And it's not like I'm sure that we got everything right. It's more of an experiment into seeing what can we do with this deck? How can we push it even further? Its weaknesses and how can we address its weaknesses? How can we enhance its strength? So one thing we notice about its weaknesses, it's got is the playmaker ETC combo. This combo feels very good, obviously, when you execute it, but the number of times you actually execute it is very, very low. You don't actually get to go off on playmaker very often. And when you do, it's often followed by conditioning. Conditioning was the car is the card that actually carries playmaker to being even remotely playable. Uh, because without it, it's just pretty undersized and lacks impact. Because the thing is, if you have buffed rush minions, the playmaker gets more value. Um, that's gets to the next point, which is conditioning. This is the card you want to build around. Um, so hand buffs got bad rep during MSG when they were first introduced. Um, but we have to remember that back in MSG, rush minions did not exist. <laughs> there was no rush. Uh, it turns out when you don't lose tempo and your whole deck is rush minions and you buff your entire hand of rush minions, that's really strong, right? Because you're paying two mana for conditioning on turn five. That's pretty much almost always the turn you play it. Sometimes you even play it on turn 10, but very often comes down on turn um, five and you play a Warmall Challenger immediately or a Rokara immediately, you make up for the tempo loss and through the rest of the game or the next several turns, your hand is filled with like bloated rush minions that just kill everything and develop threats at the same time. So that's really powerful. That's a really powerful hand buff deck. And again, it's Crab Rider gets in because it promotes these kind of new strategies that we haven't seen much before. These buffing strategies. Suddenly you see Blessing of Kings in the meta. And suddenly you see hand buffs being successful in Warrior. So that's really cool to see. I think Rush Warrior is also a very inoffensive deck to play against. Yeah, it's powerful, obviously, because it's in the meta. It can do powerful things. But it kind of plays a like a, a classic game of Hearthstone. So almost going back to, even though Rush is a new mechanic, it feels like I'm playing a classic deck from 2014 or maybe a 2016 deck. It reminds me a lot of like Whispers Dragon Warrior or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Very much like Whispers because of Alex as a champion was a charge menu, but it felt like a rush minion where you're running into something. Uh, yeah, it's a good good uh, comparison. So, yeah. And you look back as well, the original hand buff cards, 
beyond there not being Rush, they were kind of laughably costed, and almost all of them except the Paladin cards only hit a single minion in your hand or a weapon in your hand. We have a much better rate now on cards like, well, both on Conditioning and Overlord Runthak, which is also a very strong card in Warrior, um, and we're able to consistently get valuable buffs to the point where when I have a bunch of bumper card tokens in my hand and I, I hit with a Runthak and then play Conditioning, I feel like I'm Quest Rogue for a second there. Play a lot of one-mana 4-4 four, four rushers. Yeah, it's it's quite powerful, um, obviously. Um, when you have, again, you have the ability to, at one point, like, first you don't spend much mana on the buff. You get a 2-2 two, two buff for 2 mana on turn 5. That's a very good deal. And then your entire deck is basically minions that turn into removal, and when you buff them, they just scale out of like out of removal range, and they often allow you to value trade uh, your opponent's minions. You just get to dominate, and obviously, Troublemaker has great synergy in this deck because if you keep the board clean and you play a Troublemaker on an empty board, you pretty much win most matchups. Like most decks, don't have the ability to deal with it. The one deck that has the best ability to deal with it also happens to counter Wash Warrior, which is praised because of Shadow of Death. Also, Soul Mirror can be very effective against uh, Troublemaker. Oh, that's a so, fun interaction, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But the 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 this the the point is, Rush Warrior does have weaknesses, which is being um, ran out of resources. Uh, you kind of see it like the close matchup against uh, Control Warlock. It's not like Control Warlock is favored. We can definitely run it out of resources. The same for Priest. Priest more of a harder counter to Rush Warrior. So the situation here is we have a deck that doesn't have a lot of draw. But it runs conditioning, which requires you to have a lot of cards in hand in order to get the most value off of it. And that's probably your most powerful card. So our build on the report is more experimental. And tries to see how much card draw can we fit into this deck to make conditioning the best, uh, the strongest card we can make it. And see whether that extra greed uh, hurts it in other matchups or whatever. So you see the build in the report. Tries to maximize draw. So you don't want to run out of resources in the slower matchups. While not sacrificing too much much in the faster matchups. Since you're cutting cards like Playmaker ATC. Not super relevant in faster matchups, right? Playmaker is more of a 3-mana 4-3. That's not very good. Obviously, we put Mancrick in. Because it's good, whatever. But if we have more draw, it makes even more sense to run it. So we're trying this out. And next week, we'll probably get a better impression of, okay, so what's the right amount of card draw this deck wants? Does it want Cutting Class and Anchorman? Maybe it wants just one of them. Maybe it wants more threats. What else is missing? What is the impact of dropping the ETC Playmaker combo? Is the combo actually good? It was actually needed? Or was it just a bait? I think it was a bait, but we'll have better confirmation on it next week. But regardless of build, this deck is pretty good. Obviously, answers Paladin pretty well. They're gonna respond with Blessing Authority. That's a good card against Warrior. But you still have, you're still well built to beat any deck that tries to take over the initiative in the early game because of your ability to just rush, and and your combat mechanics are very strong. And Warrior is also very good against Rogue because Rogue doesn't have. Uh, a lot of effective removal against it, right? Like, if you stun a Troublemaker, okay, so you stun a Troublemaker, but what are you doing with the 3-3s? What are you doing with all the buff stats, the overwhelming stats of conditioning? And that matchup can again. definitely be rough. Yeah, and yeah, again, they can just play it again and still get at 9 mana. 
So, yeah, the deck is pretty strong. It's not unstoppable, though. I think that some of its matchups are going to get worse uh, due to adjustments from other classes, but it's. I think it's a good deck to have. And as I, as you said, you introduced it as a saver of the meta. I see that that way too. It's one of the main factors uh, that's currently causing Paladin and Hunter to drop a little bit in their power level. I'll take it. Something that can that can theoretically rebalance the meta, though. It is a little weak to priest. A lot of the decks we talked about are weak to priest outside of warlock. Okay, before we transition to priest. Is there a reason to talk about Control Warrior? Not really. Uh, but we will get, like, Control Warrior is mired by the same problem that Control Priest is currently mired by. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to Priest. So, All here's right. Priest. So let's talk about Priest. I think Control Priest, over the first week of the report, uh, like, the first week of the patch, if you built it well, it would be absolutely insane. Um... Light Shower Elemental's so good against so many classes in the format right now. Great against Rush Warrior. Great against Paladin. Great against Hunter. Great against Rogue. Like, the only matchup where Light Shower Elemental isn't that great is in the mirror. That's pretty much it. The card is bonkers in the current meta. And Control Priest, uh, with the build, the Golden Control Priest that we featured in the last report, was honestly a bit of a meta breaker uh, following the battle changes. The problem is... That everybody's in love with Cthune. Everybody wants to play Cthune and Malagos and Priest. And Malagos and Cthune and Priest, honestly, a top legend. Priest is still pretty good, even if you run those cards. But if you don't run those cards and actually run a proactive Priest deck, the deck is even is way better. It's just like the exact same situation where we had Spellmage that played Cthune. It was still good at the launch of the expansion. Still performed very well. But once you took out Cthune, the deck rose to another level. And here we have the same situation where if you drop Cthune, Priest just rises to another level. And Control Priest is good against a lot of the successful decks in the meta. Pretty much all of them, except for maybe Spellmage and obviously the problem with Warlock. You've got flexibility. You can run Elusia if you're running into a lot of rogues, demon hunters. You've got that flexibility, though. Again, we don't recommend running Elusia generally uh, throughout most of the ladder. It's not going to be a super useful card. The deck is, uh, priest is strong not because of Elusia. When people like there's a narrative, a lot of pros say nerf Elusia, priest is too strong. Priest is still going to be strong even if you nerf Elusia. Um, that's important to understand because it's got great value generation tools. It's got greater consistency to get those value generation tools because of insight. And it's got an absurd amount of removal that's so efficient and effective with Shadow of Death, Smite, Hysteria. The list goes on and on and on. And you can generate more of it in the spell pool of discovering through Renew. Palm Reading is fantastic. Scorpid, Wand Maker, all of these cards just glued the whole thing together. And Priest is in a really strong spot. But again, there's the turn one conceit situation with Warlock. That's pretty much the thing that keeps him in check and the fixation obsession with Cthune. Another thing that people say, oh, we have to run Cthune because of the mirror. Now, I did that research. I looked into it because people kept telling me, oh, you have to play Cthune in order to win the Priest Mirror. And it's absolute nonsense. Like, if you play Cthune in Control Priest and you're facing a Control Priest deck without Cthune, 
you're not even 55, 45 favored. You have like a few percentage. You have an edge in a few percentages. But most matchups, most priest mirrors, don't come down to fatigue. Because the priest can generate a lot of pressure. And when you shove bad cards into your deck, you're, it's more likely that you will miss your ability to answer that pressure. So this whole notion where you have to play Cthulhu and Malagos in order to win the mirror, it's just complete nonsense. So it's not true. I don't know why this... No, like It seems like everybody just automatically assumed it and just manifested it in every tournament lineup when if you just did an extensive testing, you would see that it's not the case. Um, the other thing is running a Lucia actually hurts you in the mirror because if you a Lucia your opponent, and your opponent had a Lucia in hand, and you double Lucia, you pretty much win the game. Like, it's 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 even more, it's dis more disruptive than helpful in the mirror. So it's kind of a funny situation. But the point is, Priest is so much better without Cthulhu. Just let that old god go. If you want to be more proactive as a Priest, we actually have a solution to report. Run Kazakus. So we have Paladin going from Kazakus to saying, maybe I want my Karyl and Samoro, and here we have Priest saying, maybe I don't want my 4-drops, my Zarela, and Samoro, because they're not proactive. Maybe I just want Kazakus. And Kazakus, with Insight and Raise Dead, is really powerful. This is the deck I've been playing for the last couple of weeks. And it's very, very strong. It, it's felt very, very strong, at least to me, anecdotally, but we do have some um, indication that this can help you in like slower matchups, in the pre-smear, and things like that. More effectively than just running Cthulhu. And let me tell you this. When I run my Kazakus Priest into a Cthulhu Priest, I've run into it a few times. I win. I have a 100% winner against them. I don't know. Maybe it's a high skill cap thing. Cthulhu high skill cap. Maybe they're not playing well, but it's all at high legend. So... The point is, you have proactivity, you have the ability to pressure your opponent. Sometimes you just kill them. Like, you play against Rogue, I go Mancrick, Kazakus, double Golem with Divine Shield. If he somehow ever deals with that, I raise that, the Golems, it's just over. Sometimes the Priest just stomps the opponent, just like that. You don't need to wait for the long game in order to, to beat your opponent to dust. And you do that against, like, in faster matchups as well, with the Golems and Kazakus, which makes it less necessary for you to run cards like Samora Zarela, who needs to like swing back on turn seven from being super behind, right? And clear the board with Zarela when we don't need to clear the board because we're ahead on the board. We're stopping them, we're attacking them. And when Priest attacks and has board control, it's unstoppable, Hath. Like it's very hard to beat a Priest when it has the board control. I've been playing some Priest and it's actually, it's kind of just a tempo deck with crazy removal. Ba yeah. You're basically playing, you're fighting for the board. You're, you're playing Wandmaker and Scorpion. You're curving out. You have insight to pull your minions. That's the thing that you want to see the most. You want your minions. You want your uh, tempo. Force the opponent to deal with your minions. Play around Apotheosis. You're constantly Apotheosis threat. Mancrick's wife, Apotheosis threat. They want to kill your minions. But if they do that, they don't kill you. They don't put damage to you, to your face. And even if they do, you have so much healing, right? The one thing that counters Priest is Mage. Honestly, a lot of it has to do with Devolving Missiles, denying your raise dead value. But obviously, when they flow and they cheat out so much mana, 
that you can get burnt out. You can get outpaced and you're healing. You don't heal as quickly as they can deal damage. So that's a matchup issue, but it's not like a matchup is unwinnable. It's like maybe 40-60. And then Paladin, you're looking good. When you have consistent game plan, not bad card, don't have bad cards in your deck, you can beat Paladin very consistently. Hunter, you stomp them. Rush Warrior, you're very effective against them. Rogue, you also have like a surprisingly decent matchup against Rogue. Like Secret Build is a little bit more difficult, but the Miracle Build, you're fine with them. So has really good game against all the things. It just loses to the bad decks. Loses to the Inquisitor Demon Hunter. That deck's going to go away. So you look at his matchup spread. As I said last week, Priest is nutty. Now, I don't think Priest is overpowered, right? Because let's say we nerf Warlock, right? And as I said, if we nerf Warlock, Priest is going to be really good. We're taking away a tool for Lucia. And the reason why I want to take away Lucia is so that Priest can be countered by other combos. Not 60 damage combos, but maybe other decks can, like Leorox, I don't know. Like all sorts of things that can counter Priest because it doesn't have uh, that great inevitability. So this is what I'm trying to do, uh, looking to do. But if Priests ever get to the point where it's really powerful, I think that the meta can adjust to it. Um, but if in the current meta where things are fast, you just want to fight for the board, then yeah, you're playing a tempo deck with removal. That's a really good description of Kazaka's Priest. So Priest is really good. Just, just drop Cthulhu, give it up. If you want to counter the mirror, there are better. Try to figure out better ways. People have said, uh, suggested Onyx Mage Scribe as a card. That card's good. That could, I've taken yeah. it after Conic Studies quite a few times. The biggest issue is hand space. Um, yeah. but like it's it's a good card and it's a four nine. Yeah, ha, and the discovery pool nine. is really really nice for the generation pool. Yeah, it's very very good. So I can see Onyx. We don't have much data on Onyx Mage Scribe. But it's a card that I can definitely see, like, if there's a sl slower meta and P Elemental is not as good, as insane as it is right now, you can swap it out for Mage Scribes and get even more value, and it will help you in the mirror significantly because you have a 4-9 on the board. It's very hard to remove. Imagine you discover a Psych Split or another buff. You can just snowball out of control with, that, with these kind of generation tools and tempo tools. Obviously insane with uh, insight, so there's a lot to do with priests uh, that it can do if we just drop Cthulhu and think of other ways we can win the game, right? In a proactive fashion. Um, so that's pretty much the message. And going back to Control Warrior, same deal. I look at Control Warrior builds running Cthulhu; they're terrible. You drop Cthulhu; they're less terrible. Like Control Warrior is not Control Priest, right? Control Warrior is actually really good uh, without Cthulhu. Control Warrior is still not good even with Cthulhu, without Cthulhu. But it's still better. The card is still a bait in that archetype as well. So in like, there's not a single archetype where I've seen Cthulhu and I'm saying, oh, this is good. This is actually a viable win condition in that deck. And it should be noted, it should be noted, we used Cthulhu in a lot of theory crafting deck lists and we're walking it back now. Because we thought it would be a good idea. And the data says it's not now. Data says it's a bad idea. It's a tempting deck building win condition, right? In theory, it, it seems good, right? On paper. Then in practice, I'm just seeing overwhelming evidence. I wanted to like Cthulhu. You know that I did. 
But I it's do. just like the evidence is just there telling me that whenever I put Cthulhu in a deck, it just makes it worse. Like I'm seeing in mage, priest, warrior, everything. Druid, people it's playing just, like it's just not the right thing to do. And we tried it because we thought it was, and it wasn't, and so we're moving away from it. And we recommend listener that you do too. That's pretty much it. Yeah. It was worth trying. And that's pretty much it. The message is Cthulhu is bad, makes your deck worse. You want to have better, more consistent win conditions that don't count on you drawing your whole deck in a class that really doesn't draw and then running Malagos and just like it's oh, Malagos not a bending draws over backwards you have to do. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's insane. Yeah. I will note this is not something that we have backed up in the data. I've been enjoying I found a list that Randlet posted that had uh, Devouring Plagues and Flesh Giants. I small sample size. I've had fun with it. I don't know if it's good. But I do know that Priest just feels like it's a tempo class with really good control tools, and you're able to attrition people out, but you're also able to just take the board and keep the board and then just hit people in the face and kill them. Yeah. Um, now, ideally, I would have liked Priest to have more finishing potential, but honestly, its tempo pressure and its board control tools are so good that it can just win by having minions and just taking over the game that way and just apotheosis. Very hard to burn out the Priest when it has board control. Uh, even Mage, when, when this matchup, the way that Priest wins is that it has overwhelming stats. It manages to force out Devolving Missiles. The 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 stats on the board makes it impossible for Masco for Cthulhu to get value. And then if they burn you over the top, you just apotheosis on your biggest minion and you're, you can you can outlast them that way. So Priest is very strong when it has board control. And Kazakus helps you in board control, developing your own threats. And raise dead on golems. Oh my. When I do that, I, I don't lose. He is pretty gross. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you hit like rush copy. Rush yeah. copy is pretty rush when you, copy. When you raised it back some uh when you raised it back some some oasis surgers. Yeah, it's it's nuts. But so Prince good class has an issue, a top legend, where it's it's good. But you're gonna run into warlocks that are too tempted to counter you and just you. And you can try and play out the matchup. I've tried. It's not fun. It's not yeah. fun. And I understand, even though maximizing your win rate requires you to play out the game and try and find those 15% of wins, uh, it's not fun. It's like you're, you're like you're doing homework. You're not actually playing the game. Well, I hope that Warlock drops in play so that Priest gets better. And uh, I could see a couple nudges here and there, but... I actually am okay with with where the class is because it doesn't feel like an RNG fiesta. It just feels like it has good cards that do what they'd say on the on the box. Yeah, and also as I said, if priest becomes powerful, like generally, and you don't have the warlocks that just turn one counter you on on Q, then I think that other classes have the tools to be able to kind of punishes uh, kind of punish the the priest inability to just finish games immediately. You're looking yeah. at you know, Alex Tenwu possibly becoming better if you nerf Lucia and such things. Swine to shank. Yeah, not so much. I'm not not a big fan of that kind of countering, but but yeah. It would work, uh, but I don't like it either. Yeah, I think I think Priest is in a fine spot and I think Lucia is the most toxic card in that deck, even though it's not necessarily good in that deck. The fact that it exists and people have to play around it, even if you don't run it, 
is I think it makes for uh, it's not super interesting gameplay. Despite what yeah. some people say, Lucy has a high skill cap card or whatever. It it actually doesn't do it's what a dirty people rag. think. Yeah, it doesn't do what you think it it's doing. It's it's a very frustrating card to to play around and to deal with. Yeah, uh, we were just talking about Rogue. Why don't we talk about Rogue again? Because you said in the report, in particular, Secret Rogue is seeing a lot of refinement, especially at the highest levels of play. What have you seen so far? Rogue is generally more refined and more popular at higher levels because top players have figured out how to build the deck while the class, well, um, players at low ranks don't have that information. Many of them are running suboptimal lists in response to the balance changes because Rogue actually got the most balance changes, right? It had to deal with Jandis, need to figure out whether it wants to run Jandis, need to figure out whether it wants to run Watch post, pen flingers. So it got hit multiple and multiple cards rather than just spell mage getting hit with lunacy. So there was a sentiment of like, okay, is Rogue dead? Um, people thought like they they look check out class win rates on HS replay, and they think, oh, Rogue is dead. Uh, but no, Rogue is not dead at all. Rogue is actually very good. Um, it has three archetypes that work. Two of them work throughout ladder. One of them works in a very specific niche but miracle rogue is good um there is it does have some issues with finishing the game which is why alex 10 was now necessary without the pen flinger damage um it does have somewhat of a value issue we talked about uh, last week about secret passage not being as good as it used to be people are trying scorpid i actually was very close to including scorpid in miracle rogue this week but um, something about that that whole package is still a little bit iffy, but there's a chance it will still be good. Like Scorpid animated broomstick is a very interesting idea that maybe re- needs more exploration. But the list that we have in the report works pretty well for the archetype. Um, you've got good tempo tools and you've got a reliable win condition in the late game. Sometimes that can heal you as well. Uh, but the combination of an Alex with uh, Wicked Stabs is very good. The important thing to remember about it is that Tenwu, you don't have to save it. Like One of the mistakes people are making is that they're saving Tenwu too much in matchups where it's not relevant. You can just play it, and it's a 2-mana 3-2 that has a shadow step attached to it, and that's still okay. You can play it earlier in matchups where the combo is not relevant. Don't let it rot in your hand. So that works. And Secret Rogue performs better than Miracle Rogue right now. Part of it is because it's more refined, cleaner. But a lot of it has to do with how good stunners are against Paladin. Especially when they're running Blessing of Authority and Blessing of Kings. Stunner is an absolute game winner in those situations. Ambush is also very annoying for Paladin to deal with. So Secret Rogue is developing into one of the better counters uh, to Paladin. It has an issue against uh, Warrior. But it can... It does better against Priest. Hanar is very annoying in the late game in that matchup. And again, Alex Tenwu um, ended up being a very viable and working win condition. And this brings me back to Penflingers um, and how good this nerf was in retrospect. Thank goodness they did it because we'd still be flinging over and over again. Yeah, no, because the fact is that Rogue is fine. It's viable and competitive. But it has to invest deck building, like deck slots, into a win condition rather than having Penflinger 
be this activator for uh, field contact, this almost brain dead activator for field contact, infinite activator for field contact. So it doesn't need to think about how it draws its cards. It doesn't need to think about how it uses its removal because it has infinite removal because of Penflinger. It also needs to think about how to close games because it doesn't have the near infinite damage of Penflinger in the late game where Penflinger and Wicked Stabs was enough to kill you from 25. So now it needs to worry about, needs to play a 9-drop in order to close games and a 10-wall, which is kind of a bad shadow step. So you actually forced Rogue to make decisions that didn't kill the class, but I think that Rogue is actually more interesting now to play as and to play against because of the flinger change. So good job, Team 5, for making the change that was necessary. Uh, you see the impact on it in, in Liber Paladin? You see the impact... In Rogue, both are viable, but they're just not stupid. It's just not stupid anymore. You actually need to invest deck slots into your win conditions rather than have a card that does everything. So that's really good. And yeah, so Rogue is good. Paladin's good. Even after the Flinger change, they just it just made things more healthier and not like one card does everything, uh, which is, I'm a big fan of. So... That's good. Poison Rogue is a deck that's utter dumpster outside of Legend. And actually viable at top Legend. Not because of skill gap, but because the meta is so different. Uh, it just rolls over to Paladin so hard in any aggressive deck. Like basically what you said, playing two minions at a time. But it's very effective against, against any slow matchup. And as I said before, it's not going to be a problem now. But you need to keep an eye out for this archetype. Uh, because <laughs> there's nothing about what that deck does that you want to be any part of the meta. <laughs> like you just don't want that ever to be the way to play. Also, Coco Shadows, uh, highly interactive card that allows the deck to buy turns. Um, like you use it like against priests to deny apotheosis, so they can't even heal themselves because they can't attack your face. And you play barely any minions, and you're just this weapon deck that draws its whole deck. And yeah, just goes over the top. And Chorus is very good in that deck. Um, I've seen a Viper uh, run Assassinate in his GM lineup just to deal. Why is Assassinate better than Chorus in specific tournament lineups? What is the thinking? Because of Ogre Mancer. Because the deck runs very few minions, so you need to play two spells to kill the Ogre Mancer if you're playing Chorus. But if you kill the Ogre Mancer with an Assassinate, you only spawn one, two, two. So that's actually really clever, but on ladder you probably want the chorus because it's better against other things other than Ogomancer. But chorus is really good in that deck because it makes it even more uninteractive, where taunts don't stop it reliably because you can just deal with them. So you run chorus so taunts don't matter, and you run cloak of shadows so that your opponent's board doesn't matter, and nothing matters other than you buffing your weapon going face. Well, that's a bit of a problem going forward. The deck right now is not good, but something to keep in mind. Uh, because if this deck was 15% of the meta at Diamond, Platinum, those ranks, it would be utterly unbearable. It would be unbearable. There was no chance yeah. that deck would ever... like It, it would be Evolve Shaman, but <laughs> a cracked Evolve Shaman. It's... Imagine if Evolve Shaman had no variance and no board. Yeah, infinite card draw. The board doesn't matter, so removal is not even effective against it. There's nothing you can do. You're trying to pressure them to play Cloak of Shadows. 
I got a comment saying, why are you complaining about ticket? Why are you talking about uh, Poison Rogue's unhealthy play patterns when Ticket is in the game? Like, that's also an interactive. I think that people don't understand what interactive is. Interaction means that my actions have an effect on the opponent. And the opponent has to respond to what I do. That's what interaction is. We interact with each other. Control Warlock needs to worry about things I play. It needs to kill. It needs to remove things. It needs to defend itself. Ticketus is not... It's the fatigue win condition that comes 10 turns later. It still needs to worry about what I'm doing. Poison Rogue doesn't care about anything that you're doing. Poison Rogue, the only thing it does, it just recruits a weapon, buffs it to infinite, and makes sure that it has the tools to ignore what you're doing. So there's a big difference there when it comes to interaction. That's something I want to make it clear. That's a warning sign for the future. If Poison Rogue ever becomes good, it's probably going to be really bad for the meta. But that's Rogue. We close out with that. If you want to play good Rogue decks that are consistently good, not super polarizing, and not basically Q simulators, you can run uh, Miracle and Secret. They're very effective. I'm glad to hear that Rogue is figuring something out. Valera always finds a way. Um, and yeah, thanks to the Penflinger nerf, you actually have to decide if you want to run 3-mana gadget or not. And that's, uh, that's pretty cool that that is a choice as opposed to a requirement. Yeah, Secret Rogue doesn't run it. Like, the moment that Secret Rogue dropped field contact and stopped trying to support it, it's is when the archetypes winner it just spiked. I just saw it second day, maybe it was second day or third day of the patch. People propagated a list that doesn't run field contact, and immediately the win rate just shot up. So it's not necessarily good in every rogue deck now. You have to support it. So that's a good that means the flinger nerf was definitely a correct. Yes. Another indicator. Now Druid. Uh, we have got two classes left. Druid, it f- I thought it was a one-deck class. I do think that there's some signs of life coming from Cloud Druid, but Token is still definitely the Druid deck I expect to run into in the ladder. The Warrior matchup is not one you really want to see, so I imagine it's dropping a bit, but it feels pretty well-rounded overall. Yeah, Gibberling is okay, but I think the deck is going to drop off a little bit because Priest and Warrior are very good against it. But Clown Druid is kind of sneaking up. I actually saw a lot of Clown Druid after the report launched. Um, the meta seems to be developed because Clown Druid is good against Rush Warrior. It's good in slower matchups. And it's even good against Lifesteal Demon Hunter because you can just develop like giant stats on the board that they, it's out of the removal range. And they have to, even if they do remove it, they have to invest so many combo pieces that it just delays their game plan significantly. So... Clown Druid is actually sneakily playable right now. People are not paying much attention to it, but I see a lot of potential for the archetype uh, as the meta develops, right? Because Clown Druid, what what it suffers against is aggressive decks. And as we discussed earlier, aggressive decks are going to decline, both in performance and play rate to some degree. And that leaves uh, Ramping Druid decks more room to operate in. So Clown Druid, I think, uh, is actually um, on the up I don't think it's going to be top tier, but it's an option. So Druid is not actually this, as you said, one deck class that you may suspect it is to be. But uh, yeah, so I think Jibberling Druid, based on meta trends, is going to drop. Its performance is going to drop, but then Clown Druid comes back in. So I think Druid is going to be fine. It's kind of a quiet class. Not a lot of people pay attention to it, but most of the 
uh, publicity it's getting. It's getting from the Celestial Droid deck uh, with uh, like a, a Gadgets and Auctioneers and Cthulhu. And that deck has a win rate that's still pretty much in the 30s. Uh, it can be like very slow decks. If you're playing against Prius, you're going to win. But <laughs> like there's a problem with that deck when it faces things that play minions and hit face. And that's a problem. So yeah, that's most Hearthstone decks. So Celestial Druid is still a meme, but Druid has two archetypes that are viable. More than it may seem on ladder, right? Because you don't see much Clown Druid. It's, I don't see a lot. It's it's Again, it's starting to creep up a little bit, but it's definitely a dark horse right now. I'm curious to see where it goes because it does seem like a lot of the trends of the direction the meta's going and kind of hospitable for Clown Druid to do all right. We'll see. This we'll brings us happens. to yeah. We'll see what happens with Druid. I think uh, a nerf to Paladin will really help that class as well. But well, we're on to our last class, which is Shaman. And Shaman might be the only class in the game that kind of feels dead. But the thing is, I did a lot of extensive work on Shaman. I really dug into the, the class to see what was happening. And Doom Shaman isn't doing well. I don't expect it to do well because it's not good in the aggressive mirrors um, that you often see uh, in this meta. But Elemental Shaman. Elemental Shaman's shell is actually quite promising. And I think there's a chance in the future that if Shaman gets like viable win conditions or better win conditions, then... That, that can actually be a thing. Uh, well, what we did in this report, we tried to refine Elemental Shaman with the good cards that you see in a lot of decks in the meta right now. The flex tape cards. And uh, they complement the, the weaknesses of Elemental Shaman. They help cover them up because Elemental Shaman lacks value. So you're running Wandmaker. Wandmaker is very good in Shaman. You're running Scorpid. It's very good. Mancrick, obviously a good card. And then the finishing potential when it comes to the win condition, you're running Alexstrasza to burst the opponent down. And if you pay close attention to the Elemental Shaman deck, it actually has a burn plan. You've got Fire Elementals, you've got Gyreworm. It does a lot of damage. Okay, so this is an interesting thing. You kind of broke Classic a little bit when you found a Shaman deck that was just lurking there for seven years that was actually really, really good in Classic that just had a lot of burn damage, playing this Elemental Shaman feels surprisingly close to the Classic version in current standard. Yeah, I mean, Midrange Shaman was back in Classic. It was still still existed then, but nobody played two Lava Bursts in Midrange Shaman back in Classic. So, um, yeah, you this deck actually has damage and it has good board control. And... Uh, it just needs more resource, uh, like help on resources and help in its finishing potential. So what I noticed is that people are still playing Watch Post and Elemental Shaman. I mean, come on. The win rate is not going to re truly reflect what this archetype can do when nobody's building new Shaman decks and propagating it. So people are still playing Watch Posts. No, you don't do that. The other thing is people are playing Ysera. Why are they playing Ysera in Elemental Shaman? Because they're saying, oh, we lack card draw, we lack value. They're not running Wandmaker or Scorpid. They're running Ysera. No, Wandmaker and Scorpid is a way better way, is a much better way to reload 
to keep cards in your hand to maintain your hand size. Yesera is very awkward. I've seen an idea of people saying, oh, you get Nightmare off of Yesera, and then you put the Nightmare on the Alakir, and that means that Nightmare deals a damage. You know what else deals a damage without all that hoopla? Alexstrasza. Just play Alexstrasza, and you'll see that it's much better than Yesera. I'm very confident on that. And this this deck, this deck list, caused quite a scene on the Discord, as uh, Hat said earlier when he piloted against the I, Discord. I literally won one game. And everybody one said, oh, game. what is this secret deck? So, okay, if you subscribe to VS Gold and you get access to the supporter channel, as Hat said, you get early tidbits, early information from me as I'm working in the Data Reaper's lab and building R-types, refining R-types. And uh, they basically supporters get access to the deck list of the report earlier. So this shaman, once I posted it and said, hey guys, this is the flex tape elemental shaman. This is what I figure out the deck needs in order to uh, maximize its potential. Everybody just started playing it. Some people won and some people didn't because still they were playing shaman. Uh, But... You know, word of the deck got out on Discord and then caused a scene. Oh, there's a Shaman deck. It's actually viable. And I joked around that it's actually a meta breaker. And yeah, it was pretty funny. But the point is, if you want to play a Shaman deck, I think the best Shaman deck is Elemental Shaman in the current meta, not Doom Shaman. And we're trying to just put good cards and see what happens. If this deck works and it, out... it feels all right. Yeah. I'm not going to say it feels like you're playing Pal and like, whoa, there's just been sitting here the whole time. It feels all right. You'll sell. Yeah, because you actually have some burst complement your your board control tools and your like fire elemental damage. You you, you can deal quite a bit of damage, um, and then Alexstrasza can finish things off. So sometimes you like your opponent stabilizes, and you just need that last bit of damage to close games out. And Yesera is not helpful in that if you don't have board control, and Alexstrasza is very good if you lost board control. So. There's a bunch of things, and Mancrick is a good card, so let's play Mancrick and everything. That's pretty much what you need to do. And if you're wondering, oh, Mancrick is in a lot of decks right now in the report, like, we don't have Mancrick in Liban Paladin, right? But that doesn't mean it's not good in Liban Paladin. The only reason we don't have Mancrick in Liban Paladin is because nobody's doing it. So I don't know if it's good. In every deck that I've examined, Mancrick performed well enough to be included either well enough to be included or bonkers right priest rogue hunter bonkers other classes still good that kind of tells you all you need to know about the card so it's probably fine in shaman too we'll see but if you don't want to run man you can run the second gyroworm we suggest that if you just want to be more flavorful just go full elemental uh but yeah so Shaman kind of a little bit feels a little bit dead, but you can try it out. This this deck might be the way that Shaman gets out of the dumpster. Probably not, but it's I mean pro- we might climb to tier it's, three. It's probably better than running Watch Post. That's all I'm saying, Hat. It's I I am certain that it is better than running Watch Post. It's I I would recommend to our listeners. You still got a little bit of time. Make sure you get your full sixteen hundred dust refund on Cargal. Because I don't know if we'll be seeing him anymore. And if they put more watch posts in the mini set, uh, that's probably 
bad for us. I still kind of wish that Washpost had an extra attack. They ended up nerfing the health, but not the attack, and now they're just dead. Maybe if they had an attack, and it would be more difficult to value trade them, then maybe they would have still been viable, but kind of killed. Yeah, the, whole the only Washpost wash that's viable right now is the five mana one. Mm. Clever, Hat, clever. You know. Oh, I see what I did there. Clever. Yeah, I see what you did there. Yes. Ogre Mancer is a strong card. What can I say? Yeah. It, it can it can attack. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, it's a watchful kind of attack. All right. So, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate everyone that signed up for VS Gold and for Patreon and everyone that fell for the bait of I want to get Zach Sick Shaman decklist, even though I said I played one game. Please don't do this. Um, but we really appreciate your support. Help get Zach a new mic. So thank you for that. Um, the Classic Report already came out. That was pretty cool. You got an article written about you in PC Gamer. Yep, got a lot of like, publicity. Pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you can look forward to our next report at the normal time next Thursday on the 29th uh, and the next podcast on May 1st. And that'll be over the weekend of the Masters Tour. We'll see if we get another live broadcast of the Masters uh, Tour decklist, but that just kind of happened by happenstance last time. Um, it's, a, it's a happy little accident. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So... Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Thank you to Steven Sensei for the intro and outro. We'll talk to you soon. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.